Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. Welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Huge news in the war on terror as the leader of al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawari, was killed in a U.S. drone strike. So what does this mean in our fight against al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups who continue to threaten our homeland? And joining us now is General David Petraeus. He is, of course, the former commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan and Iraq, also a retired four-star general, one of the greatest ever, and also former CIA director. And he is now a partner at KKR. He's also the chairman of the KKR Global Institute. General Petraeus, great to have you here on the podcast. Good to be back, Rita. Thank you. Tell me, first of all, your thoughts. This was an incredible military achievement, getting rid of taking out al-Zawari, the leader of al-Qaeda. What's your reaction from a military perspective? Well, it was a huge achievement by our intelligence and counterterrorism communities, tracking him down, establishing the pattern of life, and then determining a way to bring him to justice that did not have any collateral damage, no other innocent civilians killed in that particular operation. So again, a huge success. That's the good news. The bad news is that that reflects the fact that the Taliban regime, because he was being sheltered in a home not far from the presidential palace in Afghanistan, not far from the U.S. embassy, in fact, he was being sheltered by the number two in this regime that is made up of the Taliban and the Haqqani network. Siraj Haqqani controlled that house One of his individuals actually was located in it. He is the acting minister of interior of Afghanistan, and here he is hosting the emir of al-Qaeda and one of the two truly iconic leaders in the history of that extremist group that carried out such horrific attacks over the years. And In fact, he's the individual often seen as the brains behind the organization, really from the late 1990s when he merged his Egyptian Islamic Jihad organization with al-Qaeda, joined Osama bin Laden, whom we believe had had gotten to know in the days of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union. And he had a real fascination for sensational attacks, attacks like those that were carried out against our embassies in East Africa, the attack on the USS Cole, and of course, the 9-11 attacks, which were planned in Afghanistan, eastern Afghanistan, when the Taliban controlled the country. And of course, the reason we went to Afghanistan in late 2001 was to take them out because they refused to expel al-Qaeda from their soil. We had to take that regime out in order to ensure that al-Qaeda could not have a sanctuary in eastern Afghanistan. And of course, one of the major missions that we had over the 20 years that we were located that we were in Afghanistan was, of course, to ensure that they did not come back, something they tried to do repeatedly. And now here we see in the capital of Afghanistan, this horrific blood-soaked leader of al-Qaeda. And I should also note that not only is that, again, outrageous, it violates the agreement that they made with us at Doha and Qatar, where they pledged that they would not allow extremists to have sanctuary on their soil as they did before 9-11. 
the Islamic State is the group in Afghanistan that is most worrisome now. Al-Qaeda has been degraded over the years. Zawahiri had really had to practice considerable operational security, although he did inaugurate the new Al-Qaeda affiliate in the Indian subcontinent, which had one of the training camps in Afghanistan that we eliminated in 2015. But the real threat in Afghanistan is the even bloodier organization. You'll recall that the Islamic State, which established a caliphate in northern Iraq and northeastern Syria, carried out some of the most horrific extremist attacks in history. And they were the ones who promoted, guided, in some cases directed, attacks in European countries, those of our NATO allies. And they are very active in eastern Afghanistan. As I've mentioned to you before, extremists will take advantage of ungoverned spaces. And you have a good bit of that in Afghanistan now with the Taliban in charge. And they are very worrisome. They are trying to ignite a sectarian civil war in Afghanistan. They tend to attack minority sectarian groupings and also some ethnic groups, again, to try to foment violence and to start the kind of cycle of violence that we saw actually in Iraq in 2006, that the surge ultimately tamped down and drove the violence down by some 85% over 18 months. So that's a group that bears very careful watching. It does not appear that the Taliban are able to eliminate them from their soil. They are battling them. So you have a number of reasons to be very concerned about the situation in Afghanistan, as a number of us did warn when we withdrew our forces last year. So how concerned do you think we should be about the threat that still exists to America? Well, I think we are concerned. The fact that our intelligence community and counterterrorist elements were able to carry out this operation. And by the way, even those of us who questioned the withdrawal stated that we would be able to conduct over-the-horizon actions like this. The problem is, of course, that you have to fly a long way, especially if it's from a base in the Gulf states, to get out there. And you spend an awful lot of your blade hours of these slow-moving drones getting to and from the orbit rather than in the orbit providing the unblinking eye. So it takes a lot of resources to do this. And, of course, you also have to work through the issues of how you can maintain other intelligence sources, some of whom ideally would always be on the ground. And we are concerned about that. And that has been very clear The director of the CIA has made that very clear, as did the president the other night. And we will have to stay riveted on them. You know, one of the lessons of the wars of the post 9-11 period is that Islamist extremists will exploit ungoverned or even inadequately governed spaces. We've seen that repeatedly. And you have to keep an eye on them and you have to keep pressure on them. And in those cases where you can't work with a host nation that can actually solve the problems, you just have to work with them to keep to manage to keep a lid on the problem so that it doesn't become an international threat. And that's what we're doing actually around the world. That's what we're doing in Somalia. This administration put forces back on the ground there wisely. They're in West Africa, North Africa, still small force in Iraq, have to keep the force in northeastern Syria. And very clearly now we are keeping a very careful eye on what's going on in Afghanistan although, again, doing it without bases in Afghanistan that were so helpful when we were combating the issues directly there and also in the region, they were very helpful as well. Keep in mind that the operation that brought Osama bin Laden to justice was launched from eastern Afghanistan into Abbottabad, Pakistan, and then came back to Afghanistan when it was done. 
You know, you bring up a great point, General Petraeus, about the fact also, remember, in Abbottabad, which you know all too well, there Osama bin Laden was in a house. It was down the street from the sense of what the Pakistani West Point, almost their big military base. Mm-hmm. Here we see al-Zawari in a Haqqani house in Kabul. Is there something to be said of the fact that both of them seem to be living, you know, or at least felt comfort or were living in, you know, public areas? Well, there is a difference. We really believe the Pakistanis did not know where Osama bin Laden was located. We're very confident of that. Uh, And he led a very restricted life, Uh, very, very high walls on that compound. He did walk inside the compound, but otherwise was very, very careful. And he didn't send out messages or videos very often. And now Zawahiri, by and large, maintained that same kind of operational security, although he has sent out more than a handful of videos in the past couple of years. But by and large, he was very, very much off the net, as they say, except that he got overconfident, obviously, and had a fascination for sitting out on the balcony in the early morning hours and reading. And that particular pattern of life obviously proved to be his undoing. You talk about that incredible moment, you as one of the great military generals, I think, ever, and the intellect and the planning that went into a strike like this with a Hellfire missile, too. It's an interesting, this drone, it was an RX-9. Maybe talk about just the incredible timing and what goes into planning just that precise moment and to have the luck and the skill to make it happen. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Well, this is a case where you try to get all the luck out of it and you de-risk everything that you possibly can. That included, as is publicly known, the build construction of a scale model so that they could understand what the building consisted of, how it looked, what the angles would be, what your, what flight path do you need to be in, and a variety of others. I don't want to get into too many of the techniques of this, but they are very, very significant. And again, these are exceedingly experienced individuals. There are individuals publicly known in the Counterterrorism Center at the CIA who have been there literally for decades. This was one of the final targets that everyone vowed after 9-11 that we had to bring to justice. And so what they did in this case was use a munition that actually didn't explode. What it does is right before impact, these blades shoot out and it just blades the target, if you will. It's been used a couple of times against vehicles as well. There are publicly available photos of what happens when it hits. But of course, the kinetic force of this is very substantial and it enables you again to deal with that target to kill a target without doing damage beyond that particular location. So it's very carefully chosen. There's a number of these kinds of very special munitions in the arsenal, and they picked the one that was exactly the right one for this particular mission and then carried it out very precisely and very carefully after what I'm sure were many, many dry runs, live runs, and rehearsals of this to ensure that there were no innocent civilians killed in a location that is really quite 
major metropolitan area. As I mentioned, this is actually walking distance from the U.S. Embassy. Yeah, that is stunning, too. And the fact that no civilians were killed, too, just timing-wise, there's so much that goes into play, right? I mean, this is just enormous preparation. Yes, it is. And you work out the timing and all of that. And of course, there are even contingencies for what do you do if the target moves and so forth. So again, they've done this. There are no better individuals in the world, in my view, than the individuals that are at that counterterrorism center. And then the elements that they work with that carry out these operations. Who do you think will fill the void? Unfortunately, as you know, they get a leader in there in that place for Zawari. Who fills the void? Who do you think is his successor? Well, there are several candidates being discussed. One of them is the actual deputy emir of al-Qaeda. He has been under what is charitably termed house arrest in Iran, although it's pretty loose. It's very possible he is already making his way into Afghanistan and will pick a new site, presumably from which he will oversee the al-Qaeda franchise. There's another candidate who could come actually from North Africa. And then there's another that could come from Syria. The African candidate would be the first non-Arab. Zawahiri was an Egyptian. And of course, Osama bin Laden was Saudi. So we'll see what the process is. But the odds are that the individual who has been in Iran will be the one who replaces him. The franchise has been disrupted very considerably, not just by Zawahiri's death, and that's very, very significant. It's significant operationally. It's even more significant, frankly, symbolically, that again, we will find you, as the president said during his speech, we will hunt you down, especially if you've done these horrific deeds that he did over the decades. But the franchises, the elements, each of them is under a good degree of pressure, and that's what we need to maintain. We cannot take our eye or pressure off these groups. When we do, as sadly was the case in Iraq after our withdrawal from there and after the prime minister of Iraq undid a lot of what we'd worked so hard and fought so hard to do during the surge, took his eye off of al-Qaeda in Iraq, which by then was called the Islamic State, they were able to reconstitute themselves and then move into Syria, take advantage of the Syrian civil war, develop enormous additional strength, capability, money, leaders, explosives, weapons, armored vehicles, and so forth, and then attack back into northern Iraq and also western Iraq and establish the caliphate from which it took, they had to be evicted. And it took years, literally, to reassemble what we needed there to support them and then to help reconstitute some of the Iraqi units so that we could advise, assist, and enable them without doing the fighting on the front lines in order to eliminate that caliphate, a really impressive operation as well. But you've got to keep an eye on them, which is why we are rightly in Iraq, in Syria, in North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, and a number of other places around the world, including, now it's very obvious, some areas in the greater area of Central and South Asia. Do you think there will be any response from them after this strike on al-Zawari? Well, there will be attempts, I would think. The question is, what capability do they really have at this point in time? There already have been exhortations. You know, there are message boards and uh, sites that individuals frequent. And of course, some of them are penetrated, as you might imagine. And the word leaks out of those. And there have been 
encouragements that there's something must be done in response. Again, the question is what real capability do they have and what could they really carry out? Keeping in mind that the brains behind the most diabolical and deadly attacks of all time were those that Zawahiri brought to Al-Qaeda when he joined them in the late 1990s. Yeah, absolutely. What was your reaction personally also, General Petraeus, as someone who has spent so much time, again, you know, you were the commander there of U.S. forces in Afghanistan and Iraq, and to see this moment, I'm just always curious because you spent so much time, you and the great men and women who served with you there, just personally, it must have just been a powerful moment for you personally to know that he is no longer with us. Well, it is, but it's interesting. It's a bit like what happened the night that Osama bin Laden was brought to justice. I was the commander of NATO and U.S. forces at that time in Afghanistan. It was the final few months. It was early May. I had gone into the Joint Special Operations Command Liaison Command Post that was at my headquarters in Kabul, asked everyone to leave except for one colonel who I knew really well because he'd been a lieutenant in the battalion that I'd been privileged to command many years earlier. And I told him then what was going to happen, and we shifted all that we were focused on to that operation, as you might imagine. And I remember when we got the word Geronimo, 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 and, you know, I just turned to him. There were no high fives. There was no hoop. There was no yeah or anything like that. It was just I turned to him and I said, you know, Bill, it was really a privilege to observe this operation, to monitor this operation together with you. Because, of course, we had a lot of contingency plans that things gone south especially you, given our history, it goes back a number of decades. And now let's get the team back in here and dial up the other 12 operations that are going on inside Afghanistan tonight, at least six of which were more challenging, more risky in certain aspects than the one that was carried out in Abbottabad, which had its risks without question, but also thankfully had the element of surprise that was very, very substantial. So I think that's the reaction. And I'm sure that that was the reaction in the various command posts that were overseeing and coordinating this operation. There aren't high fives in these. These are professionals who have been at this for decades. And certainly there is there will be a handshake and so forth. But then they're going to turn back to, okay, you know, what's the focus now? Absolutely. What's your message to Americans? We must stay vigilant, right? Absolutely. Again, the message is we have to keep an eye and pressure on Islamist extremists wherever there are opportunities for them to take advantage of ungoverned or inadequately governed spaces. And Afghanistan, obviously, is the category of inadequately governed at this point in time, although they have established control over the country. But there are rural areas, obviously, where their capabilities are are overstretched. So, and they're also confronted by extremists. The tragedy here is that, number one, the Taliban certainly have not lived up to the agreement. The Taliban have not turned out to be more tolerant. They haven't been more open. There were hopes that were generated by the very slick public affairs guy they had in the very beginning of this latest incarnation of their regime. But as you know, what has turned out is a very restrictive, repressive regime in which girls can't even go to high school, much less to college. They can't move without a male guardian. And again, it's very, very repressive. And they've essentially destroyed the economy such as it was. So the challenges are enormous for nearly 40 million people that we worked to help for 20 years. And it's really a, a very, very sad situation. 
It absolutely is. Well, we are so grateful, first and foremost, for the U.S. military and grateful for your so many years of service and obviously all the great work you're doing now also with RKR. But thank you for everything you have done and for your leadership and just the incredible work of the U.S. military to take out the leader of al-Qaeda, someone that you're very well aware of. Thank you for your service so much, General Petraeus. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Great to be with you, Rita. Thank you. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.